0: Hey, it's Jim and Aaron. Back with another commission podcast. This time for the movie "Holy Smoke," released in 1999 by director Jane uh, Campion, Campion. I think so. I think that's how you say. Champion. It. I'm just. I'm saying it's champion without the H. All right. Uh, who's also uh, probably most known for the piano. So I've heard. I've never seen it though. N- me either. And also, Top of the Lake. Um, it's all, it stars Kate Winslet, Harvey Keitel uh and pam greer and it was commissioned by a woman named m who is the proprietor and co-host on the no ship network Hmm. and they're a podcasting network they cover um vikings in fact anytime anyone asks us hey have you guys ever done a viking podcast i'm like no need m's got that down on no ship network (laughs) i i I fling as many people her way as possible they also have a uh penny dreadful podcast i first uh noticed them when they were doing Spartacus. It looks like they've also started a Twin Peaks uh, retrospective oh, podcast. Boy. Wow, That should be interesting. <laughs> um, and she's been a stalwart supporter of baldmove.com from the beginning. I can remember one of the Kickstarters, either the Breaking Bad or Walking Dead, when she uh, uh, swung for defenses and went for the phone call level. We had a nice about an hour long conversation with her about the finer arts of podcasting and television reviewing and had a great time. Yeah, really thoughtful and she had us do this movie and we watched it on Friday and it's it fucked me up, man. I've been thinking about it all weekend and kind of sure dreading what to say because this is a movie that kind of demands you to get introspective and personal um on subjects that I don't think are Conducive to being uh, personal and introspective on a podcast that thousands of people are just going to listen to. Are you worried that this is not going to be an entertaining podcast? Is that what you are saying? I, no, I'm thinking that like I think it could be a super um, super entertaining podcast with the right personal anecdotes uh, that I am unwilling to give. You know, <laughs> oh boy, like okay. the time where that, I was that held
1: requires in, some prying on my part. By the way, yeah,
0: <laughs> the time I was held in sexual slavery. I'm for I'm going to put you in a
1: dress. I'm going to put lipstick on you, and you're going to divulge. <laughs> Yeah yeah Trust no. Me.
0: yeah no. But yeah. Um I had I had a very tender affair with an older man <laughs> in the Australian Outback. But so it's like it's it's so weird. It's, let's let's talk non-spoiler. I want to give people because this is you can see this on Netflix for mm-hmm. free if you have a Netflix and who doesn't at this point. Sure. Uh holy smoke. Uh the premise is a young woman Kate Winslet goes off to India and is ensnared by this guru. Uh, And she joined she joins this this cult around him where they kind of just sit around and worship them him and open the third eye. Doesn't seem like there's anything untoward sexually or anything like that.
1: No.
0: But her, you know, her Australian family is is disturbed by this and they effectively kidnap her and hire uh, an American cult exeter named PJ played by Harvey Keitel uh, and he goes and takes her off into the outback into this little hut, mm-hmm. and for three days to deprogram her and then turn her back over, and a lot of crazy shit ensues. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very psychological. It's very it 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 uh str- it it kind of throws you a curveball because you think it's going to be oh boy it's a cult deprogramming movie and I I was set to yeah. talk about a whole bunch of that stuff and then. It kind of devolves into a very psychological, sexual uh, meditation on uh, power imbalances, uh, fem- fem- uh, femininity, masculinity, mm-hmm. what that means, breaking them down, exploitive relationships, the meaning of true love, all yeah, these I things. mean,
1: uh, So that's... I- I'm going to say right off the bat, I didn't particularly like this film. Um, I think... If I were going to go and and try to like it, I would have to give it a lot more consideration over the course of probably weeks or months yes, um, to fully appreciate the questions that it's asking and the things that it's saying. But uh, on the face of it, as a movie, I thought it was not very good.
0: Okay. I'm going to take the opposite view. I thought this movie was awesome. And okay. I was worried about it in the halfway point that this is going to be kind of a... Being John Malkovich, just mind fuck where I'm just like, no, fuck this. This is I don't like it. I don't like the way it makes me feel. Um, But every single time I had a concern in the movie, like, oh, Jesus, what's this? I felt like the movie five minutes later acknowledged that concern and then said, well, uh if you were worried about this, what about this thing? And it it wasn't one of those things where it was ignorant of all of the big bombs it was lobbing around. Sure, yeah. Like, it was completely, you know, encouraging you to think and not really telling you until the very end, which I kind of have some problems with. (laughs) Okay. Not really telling you what to think about the movie. It's just like you're just witnessing this thing happen and your reaction is – yeah, it's another thing that's dangerous about it. Your reaction to this movie tells a lot about how you see the sexes and, um, you know – Inappropriate relationships, appropriate relationships, I, I religion, just, philosophy, yeah. as, as it does what the film says. And I thought it was interesting, like, you know, my go-to reviewer, Roger Ebert, it's like five paragraphs of, this is really thought-provoking, mm-hmm. um, it's a really well-made film, uh, I'm not touching any of the subject material with the 10-foot pole, Kate Winslet was awesome, I'm out. You know? <laughs> sure. Like, yeah, yeah. Which, that's the safe route to take. It certainly is. It certainly is. Um,
1: And... Uh, Maybe I'm going to take a little bit of that safe route as well, but I don't think Ebert liked the film as a film either. I I think Ebert felt a lot of the plot and structure of it was bad, um, despite, you know, everything that it's trying to say. Uh, I I felt, I I don't think I was supposed to feel, I I shouldn't feel super confused watching a movie as to the character motivations and why they're doing what they're doing. And, And this switcheroo that it pulls in the middle just kind of amplified that for me like i felt like i was going into a movie and i had a good grasp on where this movie was going and what it was going to try to address 30 40 minutes into it and then all of a sudden it becomes this very different thing that is uh entirely unexplored in the beginning so like none of the questions that it raises at the beginning are ever dealt with i felt hmm well Because I I thought it was going to be this, you know, religion versus the science versus faith sort of thing. Right. Like trying to deconvert this person from uh, a mind control cult. Um, And that was a movie I was prepared to watch. And then when it switches it up, it had me so off kilter that I didn't know what to make of the rest of the movie because I was trying to piece it back into the setup of the movie, which is what
0: movies are supposed to do. So I'm going to disagree with you again. I actually think that was a deliberate attempt on the filmmaker to make you feel off kilter and to uh, pull one over on you and and leave you feeling kind of raw and confused and open to some of the other, you know, whereas if that it was more heavy handed in what it was going to do, you might have some mental defenses prepared. But this is like I don't want it to be more heavy
1: handed. I want it to be more subtle rather than this. I mean, it's like shifting from first to fifth. Like it just didn't give me any kind of traction for the rest of the plot
0: because I felt like the entire setup was just completely irrelevant. No, I mean, I think what you're saying is undoubtedly true, but I think it was, the formula was intentional and it Hmm. was, it was designed to elicit that response. Now, a lot of people are just not going to like that. Um, I guess I'm one of those people. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Um, But I think the, you know, to me, it's uh, hooking me in with this, you know, because talking about cult deprogramming is throwing red meat to you and I both. Absolutely. You know, we're like, oh, yeah, I'm really and I'm started. You know, I wrote down a whole bunch of lines of questions (laughs) like, how do I feel about kidnapping a cult member? Mm -hmm. Like, could I kidnap my brother? And deprogram him, and what would that look like? That might actually be awesome. What's the legalities? Is this like a gray area? Like if the police became involved, what would they actually do? And then as things got deeper, and I just – you know, I think that it's almost like the movie decides to abandon those questions as less interesting than the questions that it raises about, you know, male and female relationships, and and that's – That's fine. I
1: wish they would have abandoned them during the script writing process, not – in the middle of a movie,
0: but so you don't think it's completely—you don't think there's any validity to a filmmaker throwing a curveball to elicit an emotional or mental response from somebody? No,
1: there is. Maybe I'm just overinvested in the idea that I want to see this deprogramming hmm. as, as a personal point. You know, but yeah, it threw me off, and I, that's not an unpopular opinion either. I was reading a lot of
0: reviews of this movie. It's not well reviewed. Well, that's like, the thing. Like, I felt like the reviews of the movie are out of line with the quality of the movie. Like, I think this movie is unmistakably a well-made film. Just I mean, what are you talking about visually or I'm plot talking visually. Or... I'm talking about uh, editing. I'm talking about cinematography. I'm talking about the score. I'm talking about the acting and performances, the dialogue. I agree. People just all don't those counts, like I it.
1: just don't think, no, I don't think the plot holds to get together well enough to really make a point. All right. Um, I, I agree. It is technically well-made. Cause, no cause
0: I have a, like Royal Tenenbaums. I feel the same way about. I don't like that film. Uh, being John Malkovich, I can say the same thing about. I don't like that film yeah. and what it's trying to do. This is the flip side of that, where I still think it's a great. It's it's a it's a well made film. I just I, and, I, and I like it. I like what it's what it's trying to sell. What it's trying to do. I don't agree with it all the time. I don't mm-hmm. think that they care. This movie cares about whether you agree with it. And I think also this movie it does a lot of interesting things to like mix up the metaphors um, because I, there's a lot of people are like, well, this is like a feminist mess film with a feminist message. I find it very hard mm-hmm. to reconcile the final act with a being a feminist film.
1: Yeah, it's- yeah, I know. Um, in her her feedback, Am had some stuff to say about that, which
0: I, I agree largely with. So I feel like, in, you know, she linked this one review to call it more of a humanist film, which I kind of agree yeah. with. The only thing that I don't the only thing I don't understand is if you want to examine those issues, why do you put Harvey Keitel, an older man with Ruth, uh, who played by Kate Winslet with the young, beautiful woman? Because hmm. you've already got so many imbalances in power. You've got captor versus captor captive you've got man versus woman you've Mm -hmm. got then you you throw age and experience versus youth and night night uh, naivete Mm -hmm. like that to me that was like one power balance that made it kind of a little absurd and it's way too easy to just be like i don't care what these people thought about the relationship i dismiss this as fundamentally exploitative and a, a a wrong relationship yeah, I think- and I, I w- like if if the cult, the programmer was like a Jude Law of that age. Okay, you know, <laughs> oh, like so- I find it much harder to dismiss that as like you know this is just a fundamentally exploitative and and bad relationship that because uh, that's his thing. Like, so at the end, a- after all this, the two characters declare love for each other in a epilogue that I find very. Shitty. I don't like anything about like the final five minutes of this movie. Yeah. After the one year later. Yeah. Sure. Um, where was I going with that, Jim?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, that power imbalance and as it relates oh, to her family. L- too. Let me finish that thought real okay. quick.
0: Um, I I just find that like, you know, I, I don't care what they think about the relationship and that they, they declare love for each other. I still come back to this You know, it's it's like almost like if a person was raped, fell in love with the rapist. Like, do I buy that that could happen sometime in the history of humanity or even right now? Sure. Like Stockholm Syndrome is a real thing. Mm -hmm. But by having that epilogue, the movie's like wanting me to feel good about that. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I can't feel good about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end, they both obviously have a fundamental change in their perception of themselves. Um and how they relate to other people. And I think, you know, that's the point that it's trying to
0: make. I d I don't know But I don't know what that is. I don't know what he <laughs> Sure. I don't know I don't what know he why. learned about himself. Yeah, exactly. and why he learned it. And and also the thing that he learned about himself seemed to be kind of very self destructive. And I don't know what she learned about herself because the whole the the, the whole be kind thing. Like what the fuck that broke her down. At first, I assumed this was just another way of her, because um, it's like another the, ruse. It's another her, way to yeah. regain the upper hand. Like mm-hmm. literally, this movie is like um, that game you play to determine who goes first in baseball, where you grab a a baseball bat and you just keep putting your hand on t- until someone gets to the top, and then that's the person who goes first. Mm-hmm. That is half of this movie. Is this heart? Is this PJ and Ruth trying to get the top hand of this relationship? And I thought, and I. uh, I think it's – an honest reading could be that, yes, she is trying. And in fact, that note that she sent to him after he's got this stable family life, Pam Greer, and he's got kids, is yet another uh, way to emotionally top him. Like she's not even interested in pursuing. She's got her own thing. She's like, hey, look, I love you, but it's from afar – emphasis on afar Hmm. and she still got him wrapped around her little finger because he's basically saying if you're ever interested i will leave all of this and come running (laughs) and don't tell my wife who i'm you know what i'm saying I like, do. That's a the, fairly cynical view of the end of this film, right? But, but I feel like the the that, I don't know that that epilogue warranted entirely. I feel like the epilogue is a profoundly cynical take on the film, kind of. Really, I thought it was supposed to be affirming
1: of the the changes. Oh, in it's both, supposed
0: to be both of their lives.
1: But if you can't articulate what those changes were, I mean, she's working in an animal has hospital. He's he's come to a better understanding of how he's treated women, and he what I get from the ending on his side is he is sincerely felt bad for how he's been treating pam grew i don't know her her character's name me either um he has apologized to her she has forgiven him and they now have a
0: healthy stable loving relationship with their new twins but if you ever are come calling i will give all this up ps don't tell my wife like that okay does he really feel bad Does he say that? Does he say, I'll give all this up? Or does he say, I still love you, don't tell my wife? It's not in so many words, but he's like, if you're ever... uh, He says something about, like, if you're ever interested. I I took it as if you are ever interested in making that love not be from afar. Hmm. Let me know, and I'm forever yours. So to me... I thought it was a different kind of love that they share. You know, not one that's physical,
1: not one that's, you know, the X amount of words for love. Um, it's one of those that's more platonic and more basic and kind of understanding of well, each other. Well, except for all the
0: wild animal earth sex, sure.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm talking about where they are at the end of this, oh, after okay, they've parted okay. ways and she's doing her thing in India. Uh, th- That's how I took it. I didn't take it as any kind of like, I'll leave what I've got here and go with you. It, well, it felt more just like a true understanding of each other and almost like a thankful- thankfulness for helping each other along the
0: road to being a better person okay so i actually went back and rewatched this thing because Mm -hmm. i it was really bugging me but i feel like when he talks about uh i just wrote a novel and it's essentially about you and i's relationship and he did describe her as an avenging angel which i thought was interesting Mm -hmm. like yes she is here to repay on him all the sins that he visited on women yeah But he goes, as far as the something, because she alluded that, like, I don't know what it was, but that relationship we had was real. And he says, Yes, in fact, it almost killed me. And he says, Yours, anytime, parenthetically, don't tell my wife, Carol. (laughs) To me, that Hmm. was an open invitation. And I don't see how to read it any other way, which means, like, okay, I've heard all these women, and I've now chosen to marry this one and father children with her but i'm still available for you babe and that's that's human and it happens and it's kind of honest but it's also a cynical take on the whole avenging angel aspect because what did he really learn
1: yeah i'm not i'm not sure how that fits in honestly
0: well another take would be on something this Baked into the human psyche and our relationship and in, in our society, when, when we're talking about patriarchy and uh, feminism and versus masculinity and toxic masculinity, maybe the idea of awakening people to the fact that there are gray areas in the first place is an achievement, hmm. and that you know trying to win win the any of those battles is is it, if you try to do that, it's it's so much that you're going to completely turn away any potential audience and like you know I, I saw the rattle of reviews I was like if you're a man it's very comfortable to watch this film and I'm like I didn't really think so I never thought uncomfortable as a man watching this film Mm-mm. and also like even uh, M talks about in terms of Harvey Keitel being brought low and I guess if if be if okay if being put in a dress and wearing lipstick and and, wa- and, and parading around in in, in high heels, in terms of a very psychosexual intense experience and, and pleasing experience, something that he likes. This is something to surrender is something he's never experienced, and he ex- describes it as pleasurable. Mm-hmm. That's not being brought low. That's just a kink. Like, I mean, he certainly feels humiliated
1: in the moment, I think. And does there's, he? Yeah, I, I think part of their connection is kind of based on that.
0: Like, he is utter, he's utterly... No, it's deconstructed. It is in a that it scene. is a definite moment of female domination. She is exerting her will over him yeah. in a in 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 and a lot of different ways, and reclaiming her power from him.
1: And and everything that he thinks he is at that point is just stripped away. His his actual you know humanity and his soul is laid bare in that moment. Yeah, and he's got to confront it. And I think he feels. Not necessarily ashamed by that, but a little bit sensitive to the idea that he did this with another person. Hmm. And 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 that's kind of the connection they share, in my opinion, is this connection of you know, we each understand each other in a way that no one else does. That might be true. That, that that's why I go back to the end and say it's not necessarily
0: sexual, but I don't know how that that seems to be an incongruous line at the end. Well that's the other thing, is like I don't think he just uh you know you compare his relationship to like was it Yvonne or Yvette? Yvette. The the kind of ditzy Oh, her sister? Is that her sister sister-in-law? I, I thought it was Ruth's sister, but maybe not. Um you'd have to watch a couple more times to get all the family dynamics because <laughs> her family They're Australian. Yeah, and, and also <laughs> like it's kind of tropey in in this way that like the you know everything in Australia is so fucking crazy. Um, but I, I thought it was kind of funny and interesting. But yeah, the family dynamics, you know, she's got a brother who's gay, who has a boyfriend or perhaps husband. Mm-hmm. And then I thought it was, you know, the guy that looks just like Jason from Stackhouse from Trudy, the True Blood is I thought was a real brother and Yvette or Yvonne was her her sister-in-law.
1: I'm pretty sure he's a, her real
0: brother. Okay. Well, then they're having sex. There's no way they're both her sister. Okay. <laughs> or unless there's a Lannister Yeah, because he's cheating on her, on. right? But he's cheating on, she's cheating on him with Harvey,
1: with PJ. Everybody's cheating on everybody in this movie. Like, that's, that's the other interesting thing, I think, is the way that religion um, and sexuality tie into all of her relationships in this film. Yeah. Like, her dad look at her dad i mean it's it's no wonder she's got some some issues with being kind because yeah. her her dad's cheating on her mom with uh, his secretary there's there's a lot mixed up in the idea of these authority figures taking advantage of her or giving giving her you know maybe a bad example
0: well the scene that strikes me as true that you know a a a a, woman, a young woman with father issues who feels betrayed by her father, yeah. who feels like her father has let her down or failed to protect her, her bond with her properly, is going to be more susceptible to defections of an older man. I thought they made that point pretty explicit. When well, she she's just-
1: also resistant to any kind of affection, right? I mean, she's – the reason she's not kind is because she, she – doesn't want to love these people she doesn't but, but know how to love these so people. she
0: has this flashback at one point where she thinks about all the men she's been with and they're all yeah. these kind of like just just endless parade of men, you know, young men's faces sure and then you contrast that with the love that she felt towards the baba figure mm-hmm. and the way she described that when she came back to australia and her girlfriends are like making fun of him like oh my god did this guy ever touch you or tried to like marry you and she's like i wish and she's talking about how he was kindness and love, and it's not just all about sexuality. She's and and she's kind of you know stroking this older man's face in this in this shrine that she's constructed of him. And then you also see that with the PJ figure that she clearly has some kind of psychosexual affection towards him as this older man kind of father figure guide. That when she yeah. feels lost, she she goes to to seek comfort from him, but. The movie then pretty explicitly makes that out to be a ploy to to win this spiritual debate they're
1: in. Yeah. Yeah. She's very manipulative, um, just like PJ is. You know, I mean, bo- both of them are out to to accomplish roughly the same mission. I think, you know, that kindness that she gets from the Baba is maybe the thing that she's missing herself. And so when he writes, be kind on your forehead, right. she realizes that. The Baba is not what she was looking for. She was
0: looking for something within herself. Okay, so there's the other problem. So be kind. How, who, what business does this guy have telling her to be kind in the context of being her abductor? Mm-hmm. Like, you know... It, well, it's switched at that point, right? He's not there to accomplish that mission anymore. He's, but, but I'm saying, like, her actions in the context of resisting someone... Trying to impose, okay, first of all, it's not clear at all to me whether this was an exploitative cult. Sure. That she was drugged mm-hmm. or coerced or anything. It could have been, like, a legitimate spiritual moment she had, yep. and they weren't taking her money, and they weren't um, keeping her from seeing her family. She could have left. In fact, when her mom first sees her, she's just chilling at a cafe with one of the other worshipers. Sure. Like, that's the thing. It's like, even with the Jehovah's Witnesses, they're not like... The Heaven's Gate cult, at least they're not yet. They're not castrating people. They're not making. Them. They're not the yeah, Jonestown Kool Aid. Yeah. They're not taking all of your physical possessions or anything mm-hmm. like that. The 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 bonds they have are, are, are you know, mental and emotional. And I think they're sure abhor- abhorrent enough. But like, you start thinking, like, okay, what if you start abdu- abducting Jehovah's Witnesses? What if you start abducting Scientologists? What if you start mm-hmm. abducting, uh, you know, Amway members? Like, where do you draw the line I mean, that's when it why, comes to cults? That's I don't know. The the movie's not about that, right? Like that that's why I say it was very confusing, because but it that, sets but, it
1: up to be one kind of movie and then it but in the it's
0: But that's my point. By being kind of ambiguous about what how really destructive this cult is, the justification of kidnapping and kind of deprogramming this woman is shaky. Sure. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying like saying you need to be more kind to people. Well fuck you buddy. I actually think fighting against this attempt to be deprogrammed is almost heroic by her. So anything she does yeah, to him yeah. is like this is this is this is the rules of war.
1: Like I'm with you but at that point it's not about deprogramming her anymore. It's about winning this battle because you've got this man who wants to be in control of the situation, this woman who refuses to let him and they they're butting heads on a personal level. It has nothing to do with the cult or anything like that anymore. At the point where he writes be kind and he's sitting in a dress and like that's nothing to do with. The but cult. I felt
0: that was very self-serving because she's being unkind to an older man who has taken advantage of her. Okay. And then she has, after, you know, because she, let's say, because he even says, this is wrong, I shouldn't be doing this. She's running around naked, clearly lost and confused, at the, at the most delicate phase of deprogramming. I shouldn't have sex with you, this is a bad thing. He has sex with her. As Pam Greer points out, you could be damaging this girl. Yeah, this yeah. is very destructive behavior. Sure. All the shit that happens after that could be shit that he did to her. Like, and he's saying, be, con- I don't Again, yeah, that's good advice for everybody. Be kind. But it didn't feel like it was earned. Like, he had the right to write that on her forehead. I don't feel...
1: that. That's a fundamental problem I have and why I say it's not a great movie is because I don't feel like any of it was earned. What does putting Harvey Keitel into a dress and putting
0: lipstick on him
1: actually make him feel
0: about himself? I I don't understand that experience. I think it's interesting in that, you know, because it seemed like he... Was this older man that um, you know? It's it's hard to say, but like I have much more evidence to say PJ systematically preyed on young women, sure, than I do to have uh, say Ruth systematically was unkind to men, and by dressing him up as a woman and saying, yeah. "Look at an uh, look at what an ugly woman you make." If you saw yourself at a bar, you'd be like, "Ah," and turn away <laughs> in disgust. OK, and and but because you've got your dick and your swagger and your psycho babble, I should be like, oh, please, you know, gift me with your blessed penis, sir. That was the whole point of that scene. And I thought it landed. It, it, it did land on it. But for whatever reason, it made him way more crazy possessive of her. But I'll ask you another question. But But OK, before we move on. OK. It is a problem that we don't see enough of Kate
1: Winslet's backstory, of Ruth's yes, backstory, right? That, that brief. We scene, don't understand her relationship with men, and I think that's a problem.
0: I think that brief scene of her going and doing a mental inventory of all the men that she's been intimate with yeah. was supposed to allude to the fact that, like, okay, well, maybe I haven't made the great, but, but it only alludes on the. And you're talking a five second scene. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a tiny part. of the Like movie. PJ's breathing exercise with the vet or whatever is a much more like ex, clear cut example of predatory behavior. Okay. Uh, what was your question? Um What the hell was PJ going to do with her in the trunk? <laughs> he had he had just she like the pre as you said, the pretense of this being a deprogram exercise is null and void at this point. Yeah. She's just like, I'm this is fucked up. I'm out of here. I'm walking out of this desert. You cannot keep me here. Yeah. He punches her unconscious. Mm-hmm. Tosses
1: are in a trunk. Loads
0: are in a trunk, and then is hightailing it out to the desert. Her family just happens to because she's starting to hear like disturbing reports about like stuff that's happening here, and and they're like, you know, where is Ruth? And he's like, oh, you know, we need to find her. She's out missing. I like, mean, if, if, would he have? If if yeah. that would he have killed her? Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I think that's he, I fuck. think he's
1: trying to protect his identity there, like who he is <sighs> to himself. I mean, he's. He's dragging her out in the desert to kill her and bury her, I think. Now,
0: whether he does, but... but...
1: Sure, he doesn't, ultimately, right? Yeah. She gets out of the trunk, he goes after her, he has this vision of her and and comes to a greater understanding of himself and how he relates to women, and I I think, you know, that's the moment where the, the paths, like, there's his crossroads, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he either kills this girl or he is enlightened by her. And luckily, as chance as fate would have it, someone finds her in that trunk.
0: And then I mean, keeps him doing
1: the horrible thing and repeating the cycle he was going to repeat.
0: That's some of the most interesting visual imagery in the whole film. Um, Yeah, and it's inverse of when Ruth first sees the guru, and she like kind of sees this like very trippy uh, sequence of her third eye opening, and it's mirrored with him seeing like a mirage version of her with the multiple arms, and she looks like a Hindu goddess. Um and then also they played with some foreshadowing of that where they had this really cool image of a match where Harvey is holding a match in front of her face and like you can kind of see her face through mm-hmm. it but it's like wreathed in flame. Yeah. Um I thought that stuff is really great. But again, what was his awakening? Like that he's formed the cult of Ruth now? And to that extent yeah, it seems I got like the... he hasn't recovered from it. I I did get the feeling that she was kind of
1: his baba at the end of that um but maybe in a different way i I don't know because at the end of this she's still searching for truth right Uh she says like i'm still looking for truth i've read the uh whatever hindu book that is i don't know how to pronounce it
0: Uh uh-huh
1: um so so she (sighs) i'm having a hard time understanding what exactly she learned i guess it didn't have anything to do with religion necessarily it was it was that she was unkind to people uh, specifically i think to men um well it, it, but but she's still looking for some kind of truth what well, i don't know what that's about
0: here's another thing i'd like to talk to you about mm. is pj a reliable narrator he passes off a lot of things as fact like i've I've deprogrammed 193 people with a such, such and such recidivism rate. But he also says I've this has never happened to me before. Let's say that 60 of these cult things are young women. I would suggest the percentage is higher like 50-50, okay? Mm-hmm. This PJ, do you buy that he's never taken sexual advantage of any of these women before? I don't. No. Mm-mm. Uh when he tells the story of Singh, his little experience with a Hindu holy man and he is kind of sort of molested but then rejected by the man. Is that true? Because if some of if if some of these things are true, it's a little bit more sympathetic that he himself is vulnerable to this kind of psychological hacking, and I don't think she did it intentionally, but she unlocked something that he can't really be held responsible for. I mean, I
1: wanna take everything at face value here because If you really want to confuse this really complicated, really heady movie, (laughs) throw in a fucking unreliable narrator.
0: Sure. But I think they did. That sounds like a terrible idea. I (laughs) I don't think it's a terrible idea. Uh, I don't know what else do you want to talk about? Cause uh, there's a lot of stuff that M has to talk about. Um, but I also I, wrote down a whole bunch of things I thought were just humorous about the movie that, okay? but and then I got halfway through and I'm like, well, fuck all this stuff. But like, I got yeah. it. Maybe M will enjoy it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know the, the town that her
1: parents live in called, I, I think it's Sansuchi, Sansuki. I'm not sure how to say it, but it means carefree. Ah, no well, worries. I did not know that it's a, yeah <laughs>
0: um, so anyway, uh I want to talk about the washboard roads that are oh, yeah. one of the signature moments or signature parts of the Australian outback. Now, yeah. I love Beaver Island. It's this island in the middle of Lake Michigan and it, uh half of the more than half the roads, 90% of the roads are completely unpaved and they get this kind of washboard thing. Like mm. there's a science behind it like you're you're your car's wheel hits a bump initially and then the pogoing effect of your suspension eventually over time, because that's the kind of like everyone drives about the same speed and has roughly the same kind of suspension and the same, uh, you know, size tire that that eventually makes standing waves in the road that become deeper and deeper until you've got hmm. this washboard surface. Now yeah. to be Rylanders fucking great, that shit once a year to keep that from happening, but it just seems like in the outback, that's what you do if you're driving a car in Outback, what is the estimated time of death of any electronics in a car? Like there's not solder and wiring harnesses alive that can stand <laughs> up to that kind of vibration. It's just omnipresent. I mean, I've seen
1: multiple episodes of Top Gear where they've gone to places like the Serengeti, places like the Outback. Uh their cars don't last very long. It just beat it just seems like <laughs> the suspension beat the shit out of it. Their tires pop. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it destroys cars. But how, I mean, they also seem like the poorer parts of the country. So, like, that seems like uh. you're living in a place that eats cars. Cars are expensive. <laughs> you're poor. Fuck you. Like, uh-huh. how do you, did they, is there just like a steady stream of beater cars? Like, hey, you know, I, I get, it's like, is there's container ships of like 88 Honda Civics with 200,000 miles on them that they just buy for $500 and try to get a year out of? And then. I, I mean not Honda Civics, you gotta have something bigger. You
1: gotta have something beefier, right? Like they're driving trucks out there.
0: Like like, you know, 20 year old
1: like Ford pickups. Why not? Do you uh, just well, probably not Ford, probably. Subaru like... a Subaru. There the Outback. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Designed specifically for the Outback.
0: Designed to uh-huh. stand up to the rigors of the, the road sure. to the outback. And be, you know, a family sedan. <laughs> uh what do you think of the sheep that was serving refreshments at this party r2d2 style that's amazing i wish i had a sheep that could
1: serve refreshments
0: yeah like how do you stop the sheep from just like laying over with a trunk? you know Uh. it's like i'm tired of standing i'm going to i'm going to sit over You, you don't i guess i thought that was pretty crazy sure uh i noticed right away that the moon was upside down when we see a shot of the moon filmed in Australia, it was upside down. I'm like, because, you know, I spent a lot of time looking at the moon, a little bit of an amateur astronomer. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I guess I should have been obvious that people in Australia are essentially standing upside down on the world and looking at the same moon as I am. So it's upside down. But it's so distracted me. I was actually researching it and I almost missed the first full frontal Winslet that we got. Yeah, uh, I was like 10 seconds into Full Frontal Winslet and I looked up like, "Whoa, whoa, what's going on?" But the yeah, <laughs> ah, she's naked. How did that happen? Yeah, uh, we Europeans and Asians mm-hmm. and everyone in the northern hemisphere see the moon the way we see it, and everyone mm-hmm. in the southern hemisphere sees that moon upside down. Yeah. That was a really That's disturbing to,
1: thing for me. supposed to bring into question whether you see it upside down or they see it upside down. Harvey,
0: I, Harvey Kaitel's eyebrows are just really strong suggestions. What I yeah, what eyebrows? He has like three hairs on each eyebrow, uh, but if you said does Harvey Kaitel have big bushy fat eyebrows? You would say absolutely. Oh yeah. It look, is look at like, the man's hair.
1: Look at the man uh look at the man himself.
0: It's a David Blaine type illusion is what it is. It, yeah, really is. Uh okay. Uh anything else you want to talk about before we I got to talk about ends? the performances.
1: I think Oh yeah. Top to bottom. Everyone does a phenomenal job, and especially, obviously, Kate Winslet and Harvey Keitel are both astounding in this movie.
0: Did you know Harvey Keitel is also the main romantic lead in *The Piano*? Uh, I didn't. I no. didn't either. I've never seen any of uh, this director's films before. I'm so. going to watch *The Piano* sometime this week because I hear that's her best. Yeah, that's. Uh, but I never saw. Har- I never saw him as a romantic lead. But I will, I will say that the chemistry between him and Kate Winslet was undeniable. Oh yeah, like there is some um, fucked up but very hot scenes in here. Like, sure. like there is a love making that's sure. preceded by Kate Winslet just pissing herself. Uh-huh. Uh but it it's uh, it's it's affecting. It's affecting. Oh. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. And I, I don't know. It's it's. I
1: like what Kate Winslet has done with her career, frankly. Mm-hmm. She doesn't seem to be all that concerned with stardom. She's more concerned with doing what she wants. And I feel like those are usually the most honest and interesting stars for me. Have you seen her in Revolutionary Road? Uh, I have not. Holy shit. But this was like her first major picture after Titanic. Titanic. Yeah. And it's a complete departure from the trajectory you would think her career no, was on. No, and she's
0: kind of all, I mean, she's done, this, And she's done The Holiday, which is like just your standard rom-com fare, yeah. and she's done, you know, some brutal psychological pieces like Revolutionary Road. I think she's, I'm a huge Kate Winslet fan, I think she's yeah. awesome in every sense of the word, and... It, I remember seeing her as like a guest appearance on The Extras, it's, or... Yeah, extras that Ricky Gervais show. Yeah, it's very rare. Like, it usually when I hear about actors and actresses doing a brave performance, I like fucking roll my eyes so hard. But <laughs> her and Harvey both I thought did brave performances. Yeah. Like, you know, because mo- I'm mostly associating Harvey with like these tough guy Hollywood roles. The Wolf. And I'm not saying like, you know, I that's that's an interesting thing about society that we judge men that would wear a dress in the circumstances as unmanly even why he's mm. he's nailing one of those you know extremely beautiful young woman like he's like that's that's some faggy mm. stuff that he's doing like that's an unfortunate part but he's living he's an actor living in this world in 1999 getting naked and wearing dresses and putting lipstick and hair berets as a pss, as a as a point to you know as a way to make a point about society i actually think after seeing this i'm way more interested in him as a person and, a, and an actor sure yeah it's not his typical role yeah for sure like um, our, our it starts doesn't do it, that though. shit dwayne it, johnson doesn't do that shit that's very true yeah something i actually disagree with and this might be my personal baggage because the first thing that impacts me character wise is the stalwart love of ruth's mother this allows her to go nab her daughter from India despite her extreme discomfort while in that country it is impressive. Hmm. it's interesting because Ruth's mother then accompanies her later into her sojourns in India. So I do feel like that the movie wants me to believe that there is a love for her, but I, I saw this as more, she is not conforming to what we view in, in this family as success or a life path. And it reflects poorly on us. And yes, we're concerned with her, but it's almost a selfish thing to go in and get her because people yeah, i can are, understand why people feel that way yeah you know because again that's the baggage i bring with my own relationship with my but mother. but you also
1: like if you want to maybe try to understand her mother a little bit i'm sure she's done everything she can for this daughter um she doesn't she doesn't understand why she's doing what she's doing and that prompts her to bring in you know an outside party who might understand it better and in the end i feel like the movie is telling us that Ruth did have a problem that was solved somewhere along the course of this movie and that repair the relationship between her and her mother. Now, maybe it was also, you know, her father coming out as a cheater or, or sure. being, being outed as a cheater, not coming sure. out with it. Um, and, and that kind of brought them together. Like, Oh yeah, I understand kind of my daughter better. and My daughter understands me better. And now we're, we're together. But I, I do feel a little bit for the mother, not knowing what to do for her daughter. Yeah. There's a little bit of that in there too, but I, I get your perspective on it. That yeah makes total sense as well. I mean just because someone is going to India and joining cult and you don't understand it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily make it a bad thing.
0: So he then she then says, when the deprogramming process begins, I found that both of their arguments are weak. Now I don't know what you think about this, but I and and you're, again, my bias is I love it when you have two intellectually interesting characters spouting scripture and philosophy and, mm-hmm. you know, competing notions to each other and kind of like you scored it like a boxing ground. I I kind of ate that stuff up.
1: Yeah, I guess what I don't like are, I don't know, cl- cliched phrases, um platitudes, stuff like that mm. necessarily. I like an honest deconstruction of, the topic as opposed to just saying a line from a philosopher that may or may not apply in this situation and hoping that the other person understands it and
0: I don't know. That that becomes a bit I don't know, iffy for me. Uh M said at so at there's this one point in the movie that's like essentially the turning point when the movie goes into a cocoon and reinvents itself as a, another movie. Yeah. Uh, where the family all gathers around to watch this film, which I'd actually, if it's a real film, I'd love to see it. It examines Mm -hmm. cults, and there's footage from Jonestown, there's footage from the Heaven's Gate cult, uh, there's footage from different uh, Hindu sects and Japanese sects I'm not even familiar with. Mm -hmm. But it's this shot of like her family watching this, and like Ruth is in the middle, and at one point she breaks down and cries and flees to the bathroom. She asks, M does, why do you think Ruth cries in the bathroom when her family is watching that video? I do not think the film was changing her mind about religious fervor. I actually think it was her sudden awareness of how all those around her are characterizing her, and it added to her hopelessness. I did not okay. get that on initial watch, but I think that's extremely perceptive. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was just her like, oh my God, what have I done? I could have you know, just as easily fallen in uh, to this other, I could have been taken advantage of in a way that would have been awful. That's how I thought of it when I first was watching the film. But there's another idea in that scene too,
1: which is Harvey Keitel grabbing her sister-in-law's ass. You know, after they just did the deed the
0: previous night, uh, he got a yes. blowjob from her. Yes. Why he's on the Why he's fucking on the clock. He is filling up, feeling up her sister, sister-in-law.
1: Yeah, and she sees that, and then I don't know if that prompts her to
0: head to the bathroom
1: for her breakdown, or if that is just part of
0: the, the general feeling she has here? Do you think she was starting to kind of fall for him in this father figure kind of way, and then him being exposed as this, hmm. you know, uh, very imperfect man uh, taking advantage of this woman that she's got to know? I mean, she's got to know that this girl is... Just desperate and has all kinds of like self-loathing and and personal issues with her husband. Yeah, that she sees it as kind of like a disappointment and also as like a aha, this is how I'm going to, this is what I'm going to use to break him down. Hmm. Is she is she starting to believe him
1: in that moment?
0: Well, that's a, that's a fair question. I felt like the I'm, first day of deprogramming went pretty well. Like I felt yeah, like he it had went all the right answers. Textbooks. And- textbook also do you think that part mm. of this deprogramming process the the mm, one of the things that I, one of the theories i had working through uh the movie was he says up front like i've got to have somebody here because this is going to get intense psychologically and if if we're here alone like i need somebody mm-hmm. the the i need to pull her parachute but i need someone to pull my parachute too if if Pam Greer or one of his other assistants had been with him, clearly none of this would have ever happened. Yep. So maybe he was being honest that he's never taken sexual advantage of any of his other female.
1: Well, it could also hint as to he knows the outcome if no one else is there, and that Ooh. outcome has
0: been experienced before. Ah, uh, yeah, and he doesn't want to repeat it. No, I don't think it went this. I don't think it went this because like <laughs> he got like I, I thought Roger Ebert put it very well. Like the deprogrammer got deprogrammed. Oh yeah. Um. But yeah, that's something I think, yeah, that's a really interesting part that 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 yeah, if you're if you don't have a witness or you don't have someone here to ground you, then you get so psychologically enmeshed with the other person that an an intimate relationship is almost bound to happen. Hmm. uh she also talks about the you know the scene where uh, they go to this gay. This jolly rancher cowboy party, this drug fueled homoerotic party in the middle of the outback, I guess. Is that uh, what it was? I thought it was, I didn't realize that it was an all gay party. I know no, I don't, it's not. I'm just saying oh, that there okay. was, the, you know, the the two prominent assless chaps guys, uh, you yeah, know, and yeah. Then, then well, they gated the, it up in there, but that's. And then there's a lesbian makeout situation that she was doing okay. that just to fuck with, with PJ. Oh, Yeah. Uh, but she says also, um, lucky for her, he was watching so attentively because the guy who gave her a drink early had apparently laced it with a roofie. Hmm. This acts as a short truce between the two, if you can call it that. But the sex scene that follows was more <laughs> honest. I didn't get that. I didn't. I'd I thought, missed it completely. I thought that she had just gotten really shit-faced, hammered, drunk, and was let. Um, and these guys were taking advantage of her. sans drugs. I mean, it's it's just as bad. Sure. But you know, <laughs> yeah. getting the I guess that PJ saved her from being roofied. Mm-hmm. um But it's weird that, man. I don't. There again, I don't know what to feel about it because was he being protective of her or was he just being territorial? Because he wanted uh, to fuck her.
1: Yeah. In that moment, I don't know that it matters. Like he did a yeah. good thing regardless. But you're right. The a good the motivation thing for the wrong reasons. Yeah. The motivation there may not be pure, and it probably wasn't given what happens right afterward.
0: It's also hard for me to parse. The sex scene that follows is more honest um I think she got more out of it because she's like essentially training him to be the kind of lover that she that she wants, and again mm-hmm. this is the this is where the power balance started tipping her be- her her favor and maybe one well, of the things the thing is starting to say is that the like uh you know it's like the Star trek the next generation trope of you go to a planet and now the females are the it's a matriarchy and the men are effeminate mincing things that are dominated and like, it's just as fucked up. It's topsy turvy. Maybe that's one of the less ham fisted parts of the movie is about that. Like if you flip the power and balance, it's no, it's just as unhealthy. Sure. And I, I definitely hold that
1: viewpoint, but I think, you know, that scene being more honest is, is her her saying that this act is not all about you. Right? Like, cause RV Mm -hmm. Keitel has this very like, I'm just going to fuck. Yeah, attitude. like, his his his
0: technique seemed to be the rapid-fire jackhammer. Yeah.
1: And so she's showing him, look, I get that you want what you want, but I want what I want, too. Yeah. And you have to be conscious of that.
0: Hmm. Uh, she goes, next sex scene with Ruth is dismantling his appearance and concept of women. I do not get the relevance of Ruth dressing PJ up like a woman. I can only think of... Okay, the, good, because I don't... The only thing her. I can think of is that she was suggesting that he thinks that women he sleeps with somehow reflect on him. So she wants to show him the truth. I fully support my own thoughts on this matter because they seem tenuous. Maybe you guys can offer some insight on this. I felt like I kind of already did uh, with she was trying to get him to empathize with kind of his shallow take on it. Like if you were a woman, you would not be interested at all in you. And also. Yeah, but why does
1: that? Why does that connect him more deeply to his masculinity and what's. I don't know and that his does. warped sense of masculinity. Why?
0: I, so let me ask you this: um, What would this movie be like if you had? I don't know. What's that fucker from The Twilight? Robert Patterson. Uh, yeah, I think. That's what true. if he was a young man who was ensnared by some kind of cult in India, and you had like a Helen Mirren, okay, as his exit counselor, and they or a, a Meryl Streep or whomever, you know. What would it be like? That's interesting, because the dynamic would definitely be different. The only thing you've changed is the sex. It's still you've got the yeah. older experience versus the naive, naivete. You've still got the abductor, abductee. I mean, you've changed some of the
1: inherent power imbalance there. I mean, it's much harder for Helen Mirren to stop Robert Pattinson, although he's not the biggest guy in the world, from, from leaving this place. Oh, I chose right? him for a reason. Okay, yeah, I figured. <laughs> uh, like,
0: like if you say uh, the dude that plays Thor... Yeah, it doesn't it, work. Helen
1: Mirren's not going to stop him from doing anything. No, 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 no. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that does. It's an interesting mirror. I just don't see that in the reflection of Harvey Keitel dressed as a woman. And, and like, what? I, I don't. I don't see where that connects psychically in his mind. And also, I don't.
0: I don't know what the point. Like, I. It is interesting. And I don't understand why, but it is a fact that older women are not a sexual commodity in the same way that older men are like you can be like even Helen Mirren is held up as a hot grandmother because she is, in fact. A hot grandmother. At whatever age she is, she's still got nice firm breasts and a trim tummy. Yeah, and... But
1: George Clooney's held up because he's a hot grandfather. But like, he's not about like
0: like think think of fucking Sean Connery and you know, at the height of his Catherine Zeta Jones banging abilities when he's getting sexiest man alive as a bald aged liver spot the dude. Like he <laughs> okay, is so but far past the prime but, pictures, but he's still guarantee... sexiest man alive. Whereas there's not a mm-hmm. you, you you don't get that with women. You're right.
1: Um, I'm not sure exactly why that is, but... Like, is there's, that... There's something there with, you know, experience, and, I mean, money is part of it. I mean, it guarantees Sean Connery without money doesn't get Sexiest Man Alive.
0: Is it like, is, is this a biology thing? Like, you know, men are still virile at, in the, you know, they can father children in the 70s, women can't? Maybe. Like if you had this thing like where men couldn't father children past 30, like the sperm just stopped working, but women could, you know, con- conceive yeah. and and bring children to full term in their 80s, would would our our social evolution be different? Probably so. Would be worshipping I imagine so. Yeah.
1: Um, Interesting. If men and women stopped being able to produce reproduce um, at a roughly the same age, there might be more of a balance
0: there. Yeah. But I don't know because like, I was watching this Amy Schumer inside Amy Schumer where they had this skit where uh Julie Ju- Julie Louis Dreyfus was celebrating her last fuckable day. <laughs> like she was having a lunch with like these other <laughs> uh middle-aged, formerly hot, you know. That's the point. Yeah, yeah. Like these are all still viably bangable women but they're celebrating their last fuckable day it's like now i'm just going to be grand i'm going to be cast as grandmothers or as dispensers and i'll go off in the sunset in a career and i'm like i get that but what are we what are we did what are we supposed to do to fix this like people's sense of what's attractive and what's not attractive and sexual is a very subjective thing like shining a light on it and make pe- pe- people feel bad about it i don't I I, I well, don't I mean, get what so, I'm supposed to take away from that lesson.
1: I mean, it's it's telling that we look at you know the the media and say what do they promote as attractive. Like if they were saying oh, Sean Connery, ugliest, stupidest all man right. on but the some planet. Some of that is
0: a little bit bullshit because media media is just reflect is, is, is in a lot of ways just reflecting what us as society as preferences are. Sure. I'm not talking yeah. about a high fashion where they're just trying to sell us like, oh, you know, having a poodle on your head is this year's hot thing. I'm talking about I like – I mean how do
1: you change anyone's mind on anything on a mass scale like that? But
0: I'm saying like I don't – that feels like a fool's errand. Like if you want to say we should stop – the maybe they're trying to say – for instance, probably – and I'm a and I'm a dude so I don't get it. Uh they're trying to say like maybe the first thing that you remark about a woman shouldn't be whether she's hot or bangable. It should be she's funny, she's intelligent, she's interesting and mm-hmm. oh by the way she's also hot or maybe she's not, but it doesn't, you know, it's like that's her prime value whereas in a man that's not as like his sexual attractiveness is only loosely coupled with his physical attractiveness.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I kind of have a problem with that. With like the the idea that oh, don't don't comment on anybody's physical appearance because that's that's not right. No, yeah, uh, you have to by by the nature of relationships. The first thing you notice about someone is how they look. Mm-hmm. You judge a lot about someone on how they look. Yeah, and I don't think there's a way to change that. Just the nature of human relationships hmm. makes it impossible not to ju- make a value judgment on how someone looks. Right
0: once again two dudes on a podcast struggling
1: <laughs> but the, yeah I, we're not going to solve any problems
0: here no 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 the world uh, is not going
1: to be a better place after this podcast i hope it won't be worse yeah but it's not going to be better i can that's tell a, you that that's a
0: good direction to steer let's hope the world won't be worse as a direct result of of uh yeah uh of releasing this podcast on the upside it's really not our fault it's M's so if this is (laughs) if this is regressing the world you should feel terrible Uh, about it this is
1: two dudes shifting blame
0: from (laughs) their own incompetence to a woman yes (laughs) it's the e you gave us this fucking apple we we gave you a rib you gave us an apple what are you supposed what are we supposed to do what would you have me to do, Walter? <laughs> um, okay, so there's our insight. I don't know if it's insightful, but there's our thoughts on it. Um, she says, so the be kind is what undoes her in the Why would unkind be better? Is it because be kind is a request, a call for mercy instead of accusation? Hmm. Uh, to me, the, like I said, I'm not a big fan of this whole be kind shit. Like To me, this was the equivalent of an SS officer writing be kind on a Jewish woman's head after she gets released from <laughs> wow auschwitz like it's not it's it's a difference of degree not of kind so like maybe so him telling her be kind is like whatever dude whatever uh but why
1: quibble over the the verbiage right No, but it, it doesn't matter if he writes unkind or be kind i do
0: unkind is a label be kind is an aspiration
1: but it's still labeling her with it it's on her forehead like by saying "be kind," he is saying she is unkind. Well, here's a path. Forward, I don't know. Right? There's
0: there's a lot. So like,
1: be kind is more hopeful than unkind. That's for sure.
0: It's like like they say the the um you know this the technique of arguing in a relationship instead of saying you know you 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 do I statements like things that people can argue with like I feel this way like you can argue about it like I feel this way sorry um well, I mean, so, so 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 rephrasing is important.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not going to argue that it's completely unimportant, but it seems like they say the same thing here. And I I don't know, so it's it's wrapped up in this mirror, right? Like Harvey Keitel sees himself in a dress with lipstick in the mirror, and that's his moment. Um, She sees herself with Be Kind written on her forehead in the mirror, and that's her moment. And it's... How else do you reflect that someone is inherently unkind visually? I have no idea how to do that. And it, it seems like... I can't even think of a better way to do it. She definitely that. was. So,
0: writing Be Kind on her forehead shows her what kind of a person she is. She definitely was acting haughty, which I think is, if, if, when I think of unkind, that's kind of what I think. Like, this sneering view of, you know. Like, Be Kind is the
1: equivalent of putting Harvey Keitel into a dress and lipstick and showing him the other side of it. Whereas, writing unkind on her forehead would have been more like dressing Harvey Keitel up as a super offensive guy. Right? Like, that's, that's kind of. Kind of how hmm. I
0: see it, hmm interesting. uh, but then he also said that she hates men and like a whole bunch of other stuff that I know, uh, that I don't think is unsubstantiated period. That's why I guess I have a problem with him labeling her as anything because all the stuff that he said seems as a reaction to him making her that that she made him feel old and undesirable. Like, yeah, that's like all you, this stuff is like, oh you're, oh, you're... Sure. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, those are factual. You are old, you are undesirable. She was faking her orgasm, whatever. Like, you brought that shit onto yourself by doing something you knew you shouldn't have done.
1: But isn't there... Like, can't you say that he understands her better after having done that, after she's done that to him?
0: I I guess, maybe, in a movie sense of the word where a three-day intense experience can... Yeah, yeah, like give you
1: deep insights into the character of someone.
0: That, I mean, that's weird, like say i i some random person and I got caved in together all right in some kind of underground parking lot we spent three days surviving drinking our own piss and have you know, talking about her I'm sure the narrative would be they understand each other in a way that no one else can understand, but is that really true you you understand intimately how I will behave in a life or death weird ass circumstance, but that doesn't really say anything today about everyday aron no but it gets to core
1: parts of your character, I think, hmm. more more efficiently than in everyday interactions do. And I think, I don't know, it, it seems to me a little bit like you're dismissing, because of this power imbalance, you're completely dismissing any insight that he might have into her. No, yeah, I, I guess don't, I don't feel like that's totally true. But I,
0: I also, like, I feel like there's a lot of this romanticizing that people in highly stressful purpose, that's when the real person comes out. I really... Like, are we elevating the animal parts of our – like, the what What point is someone being able to reason and sit back and – is that less authentic them than when you get the animal sure. part of their brains involved? Yeah. Like, I feel like we put that – same things like, you know, people love when celebrities get involved in a sex scandal. Oh, look, it's so, such a – so have you been in a situation where you literally have – women and money and sycophants throwing themselves at you day in and day out and you've never been told you're wrong for, like, sure. the last decade or maybe since childhood, like, they're a bad person because they've been warped. You know, it's like you put <laughs> I- you put water into an ice cube a tray and you put it in the, the freezer and out comes a box. Why you, couldn't you be a star? Why isn't a circle? A fucking cube? Really? Like, come on. There's there's no no... no can, no, no consideration given to what kind of pressures force people into situations, and that's why I'm like, I don't know, like judging someone in a moment of extreme insanity or, or or distress seems like a and saying that's the authentic person always has kind of wrinkled me.
1: Yeah, maybe you get away with it a little bit more with stuff like courage or cowardice. Um, I, I feel like I don't know, maybe this is just a perception I have because of media, but when you're talking about oh, like we're going to war or we're stuck in this traumatic situation where we're battling against the enemy for life or death. Uh, does this person crumble under that and devolve into a thumb sucking, yeah, okay. uh, just corner sitting, shifting idiot or right. do they step up and do what it takes to survive? I, th- I think there's a little bit in that, but you're right. That's a super extreme circumstance and you're talking only about labeling, gets to the core of one aspect of that you're,
0: person. You're talking about a word courage, which literally means like, you know, that That is kind of like the measuring stick where you're talking – if you're talking about the real yeah, authentic yeah. person, like your courage on the battlefield or facing a great white shark or running into a burning building. And I
1: think there's an argument to be made that that it's it's more important how you act when you're not under those extreme circumstances. Yeah. Like in everyday life, how do you treat people? Right. I mean like act?
0: let's say like, – because like, I've seen this a lot. Like real motherfuckers
1: mm-hmm.
0: have a lot of battlefield courage. <laughs> Sure. (laughs) But, you know, they might kick a homeless man on the street. So that's not courageous. So I I don't know. We probably talked enough about that. (laughs) Um, She says, have you ever, she also says, have you seen Harvey Coytel brought so low? We talked about this a little bit. Goddamn, lying in the sun, baked dirt on his out, uh, in the outback, in a dress no less. Ruth has fully formed in his mind as a religious deity. What do you Mm -hmm. guys make of this?
1: Well, I love that visual um i yeah i I think it's it's interesting i like why I say I need like weeks or months to parse this thing is because I feel like there's a lot more wrapped up in this religion um that this religious cult and the change that they have personally mm-hmm. um especially on harvey Catitel's part like she she becomes this religious figure to him mm-hmm. like his Baba um to show him some truth about himself, and I think that's what that image is reflecting that he finally understands and it's it's because of her that he finally understands more about himself. Hmm. Um and that's just a visual representation but I'm I'm not sure if there's more there or not.
0: Yeah, and I don't I'm not I'm less comfortable saying he's brought low because of the physicality of the performance and more that he just punched a woman, he abducted her again <laughs> and perhaps is going uh-huh. to that back to to bury her rather than yeah. deal with his personal flaws. Like that is a more I think is a more apt term to talk about being brought low than the fact that he's wearing a dress and lipstick and sure yeah and is muling in the ground about this I'm, woman I'm with you there. Um, she also says after all this she runs from her creation this emasculated man is it isn't it interesting that she hates herself for achieving what she intended why was she afraid of loving a man brought so low because she would uh, rather love one exalted into unreality like her religious leader from India you could say the same thing about hmm. him. That's that's a really interesting question. He has this kind of facile relationship with Pam Greer that is solidified by the end of the movie, but he clearly would rather prefer to have this almost religious experience with Ruth. Yeah,
1: why do they part ways at the end of this? That's a really good question. Because it's
0: fucked up. I I don't feel like that's a sustainable
1: relationship. Maybe not. I mean, maybe they require some distance from each other. But... Like,
0: the, I think it's interesting that the movie poster of this is like a National Enquirer-style sex scandal, like, cult, you know, kidnapping. Really? And, yeah, I haven't seen that. Uh, haven't and I'm like, it. so it's like, is that part of, like, a, when does the fucking movie end? Does the movie end at the credits, or is that movie now part of the ethos and that this was a mm. national scandal where... I don't know. Like, who's that girl that got? It's like, Jesus, man. Uh, like Elizabeth Smart, that little blonde girl that got abducted by that crazy cult dude, and for years and years, and they found her. Like, I, I'm, I'm butchering mm. all the details, but like, what, it's like, like uh, asking why did that relationship end, and would it be interesting if ten years from now she looked at that dude and they had a torrid love affair? Like, ah, just asking so <laughs> many. It's so That's hard to gross. separate yeah. the romanticism of this movie with the core kind of grossness about so many of the yeah. imbalances and exploitative natures, natures of the relationship. Uh, she continues uh, Ruth and Inn offers him mercy when she comforts him in the back of the truck. Apparently, the name Ruth means mercy. I actually looked it up because that didn't ring true to me. Um, and I've been a bit of a Bible scholar myself. The meaning of Ruth is a companion or friend or vision of beauty in Hebrew. Hmm. Um, So I I read that as her
1: being kind. Right. Like despite, yeah, this guy's a motherfucker and he's put me through all this shit, but he's right also on some level and I'm going to be kind to him.
0: Uh, She says, one of the reviewers I read felt that the film would be better if it ended with the two in the back of the truck. I agree with that, except how I, uh, I like how PJ still wonders aloud to Ruth that after all that, you still love me. The reason I like that is because he fell to some humiliating depths and what peace mm-hmm. it must be to have done that in front of someone and have them still love you. Maybe this idea is the point of the movie, forget religion, forget your ego, but instead, forgive and love each other. It's a nice sentiment and I like it. What do you guys think? I want to talk about this in two parts. First, the end of the movie structurally. Okay. Do you like the epilogue?
1: Um, As someone who was mostly confused after a single viewing of this movie, uh, I felt like it helped me anchor a lot of the things that it was trying to say. Uh, As a think piece where you can reflect on it for a long time without having to, you know, do a podcast about it in a few days, um, I think it works better without that prologue.
0: I think it'd be more interesting podcast when they had that prologue.
1: Maybe so, but it it couldn't be a podcast that I would do three days after seeing it.
0: I'll even go. You one better M. If I was cutting this movie, I would have ended it. They get in the truck. He's sitting there in the truck bed. She looks back through the mirror and she has this really interesting nuanced performance. Her face, like her beholding him and you don't even see him. You just see her reaction to him looking her, looking at him like that. I ought to cut the credits right there. Here, get stopping the car, getting in the back and, and cradling him in the truck bed was already too much of a resolution trying to point me some way down towards their relationship. But to but, me, but I love it. being thrown into the middle of the ocean and told by an sure. author, fucking swim, dude. Uh-huh. You can go to, you can go this way to India, this way to California or fucking swim to an ice shelf, but do it. I'm, I'm, I'm uninterested in, in holding your hand. Okay, and I thought that I don't know. I, I feel like I'd have been less troubled by a lot of the relationships in the film if it was more ambiguous.
1: Um, I don't. I don't totally disagree with you there. Would you say the same about Harvey Keitel seeing her as uh, some sort of god? No, I like that. You do okay because that's that's the moment for him, right? Uh-huh. Like, those are kind of two parallel moments for those characters.
0: I mean, you could have faded to black, but then that would have changed the movie to be almost entirely about him. Whereas... Sure, having yeah.
1: Th- I think they needed that truck ride, definitely. Yeah, I
0: feel like that gave her side of... Like, uh-huh. that was his side of their experience. The truck was her side of but the experience. But his side is so concrete,
1: right? In seeing her her in this visage.
0: But also, what does that mean? Does Is that is is she the unrealistic standard that he can never attain because there's no way to like how do you have a normal relationship after that you know because <laughs> how's it ever going to be as intense or interesting and and you know like <sighs> i guess i i don't go that direction i go uh he's
1: i go the direction of like truth and insight and uh she is the deliverer of that truth
0: What's uh, I don't know. It's interesting because I've heard people like I've heard. Yeah, I've seen this. I actually I haven't heard people talk about this um, because it's rare to have this kind of brutal honesty in one's personal relationships. But you <laughs> see this in television and people alluding to and I've, I've read like articles online where pe- people like the person that I'm with in a long term relationship is not the most sexually fulfilling relationship I've ever had. But mm-hmm. it's emotionally fulfilling and they're good. They're stable and they make me feel good about myself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I could do that, man. Like, I feel like I don't I don't know that I could be in a like I I don't know that I could say this person is the one I'm never going to stray. I'm going I'm I'm never going to be with another person if it wasn't like the most physically fulfilling relationship I've had either.
1: I guess I, but, I, I don't know if you're if you're coming from that perspective, um, the one you talked about earlier. I guess it's the average of fulfillment like what are the different ways in which I'm fulfilled what
0: is the highest average okay yeah. this
1: person is the most overall fulfilling for me
0: well uh, and that's the thing is like I'm not saying that like I I put sex as a primacy like to me it's like I've got to have everything or a while wa- I'll just keep looking
1: okay you're you're unwilling
0: to settle for anything less than I absolute perfection. I've done that and I saw okay. where settling leads long term. And I almost whenever I hear someone say that, I'm thinking, oh, shit, you're some crazy weekend in Cancun or some European backpacking tra- tri- pack trip or some work conference away from fucking up. Because unless you just kind of know in your bones <laughs> like this, it ain't get it's not getting any better. And if it does, like there's no way for me to evaluate a relationship in the terms of it gets better you know that I would actually try rolling the dice and risking something like to me, that's what a lasting relationships built on. That like, I just can't do any better. I'm not interested in trying. Um, <laughs> and then if I don't have that, like I said, I'll just, I'll fucking, I'll just be alone or, or continue looking.
1: Well, I mostly agree with you. Um, that is also a fairly pessimistic view on relationships. <laughs> like, is it i think it's romantic <laughs> really like i'm gonna keep looking till i find absolute perfection
0: no not perfection just as good as it is like as as, as to when you got in the best like stick with that and then if i like, get fucked up and how, goes how do you know that it's goes the best shape because i've never, something ex- never experienced something better
1: well then your first should be your best and last right
0: that's the ideal <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, no by honestly, definition, like i feel i've known like high school better. sweethearts that marry each other and they stay and that's they're the only experience they've ever had and they seem like fantastically happy
1: that's fine but what i'm saying is until you have another experience the one that you've had is by definition your best and well, you're saying therefore grass it should be your greener. last that's right? grass
0: grass is greener i'm saying like if you've had an experience it's better Like, you know, if I've had, I've, I've had a really good, like I've had a really well-cooked steak, so I'm not going to go back to Ponderosa and think this is like, I'm not going to go back and like, Hey, Ponderosa, you know what? Ponderosa is good enough. It's good enough. But what if, what if you, (laughs) so
1: what if you take that philosophy right off the bat and say, this steak is excellent. It's a Ponderosa steak. It's fantastic. Best I've ever had, but it's the only one you've ever had. How
0: would you know? Well, I, would, I mean, in form of a long term so, rela- so relationship, there has to
1: be a period in which you go out and you sample. I think so. And then you say, OK, here now I have something to compare against. Right. Let me go into this and compare it against the best of what I've experienced.
0: Right. But I've heard like from men and women both like they've had this like, you know, psycho experience where they just crazy good sex, but the, whatever the other relationship is so unstable. And now they're like just settling for. And I'm like, man, it's always kind of fundamentally sad. Like what would their partner think if they knew that? Like I'm not as attracted to you as I was this other person for, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I am revealing myself to be shallow, (laughs) but like I said, I've, I just, I think settling is a, is a long-term bad. I would, I'd rather die alone than be with someone that I'm not fully content with because I've had better. Yeah. That's interesting. I'd, and that goes the same way. Like, I wouldn't be with a sex pot f- that's also treats me shit and, like, yeah, shit yeah. and doesn't, demeans my hobbies and aspirations. Like, I'm not I saying like that's that. I feel almost
1: setting yourself up for failure, though. Yeah. If you expect perfection, anything less will, will not do, will not stand. I feel like you're, you're setting yourself up with unreasonable, unrealistic expectations.
0: But it's, like, kind of like, you know, a Pete character from Mad Men. Like, he had Trudy. Mm-hmm. But he kept on looking for better, looking for better, looking for better, never found. He was able to, you know, lucky enough, spoiler alert, get it back. But Mm -hmm. he would have been far better off just to have been content. I guess that's I'm arguing for not settling, but being content when you've when you've got the when you when you, you you've got your best and everything's working and you're super happy. Be be content with that, but don't settle for less than what you know is the best. And that's and that's that's a continuum of how you're treated as a person, how the person treats other people, how you connect with sex. And and also, I guess um, people are all over the map and how important sex is to them, too. So, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like asexual people don't give a shit either way or it's kind of a chore. (laughs) We're pretty far afield from the actual topic. (laughs) Are we with this movie? Well, this movie covers a lot of ground. Fair enough. But yes, I think we are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's as broad and wide as the Australian outback, and there are oh, no rules. Just right. <laughs> uh, That's it. We thank have no you, follow-up. M, for making. I think for making us yeah. watch this film. It's been an interesting weekend of introspection and thinking. And I've talked to like a bunch of different people about this film. Um, and I, I kind of wish we could got. I feel like we needed a panel of six different people to watch this film sure. to give like a really interesting. But you know, we did as best we could with us too. And I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you feel like you, you got good value from your uh, commission on here, em. Uh, If you are interested in commissioning a podcast of your own, you can go to com slash shop and click on the big old film reel where you can get the price and kind of like the skinny and uh, what you get with it and uh, what, what services we offer. And uh, again, uh, I love – this is – this is something we came up with a bar and broad ripple, like yeah, commission pay. Yeah, I want to throw up there, uh, and it's been like the best part of our job. And I'm incredibly mm-hmm. thankful for everyone that that supports us. Period, and uh, everyone that's 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 had us watch the stuff that I. This was so far off my radar, yeah. And now I'm going to start looking at this work of uh, of, of Miss Champions Champion oh. or. I think it's champion. champions. Yeah. Uh, it's champion without the H. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go and and it's going to lead me to this other stuff and I'm super happy for that. So thank you. Yeah. I'm definitely watching a lot of stuff that
1: I wouldn't have watched in the first place. Um, several come to mind, but they've all been,
0: you know, in, in, interesting experiences, if not really good films. So mm-hmm. it's a very kind thing. It's a very be kind thing to do, to share this, this, uh, awesomeness with none of those but there's a cool thread in our forums about people that have because of the commission podcast or because of other podcasts have been turned on to things that they never would have watched and that's yeah that's truly the best part of my job when everyone someone says i never would have watched x but then i heard you talk about on y and now i'm a big fan of like that feels good to spread that and you know commission podcast is a way to not only support gemini but to give back to the whole community sure what you think is awesome